What a song to prepare us uh, to hear God's Word uh, this morning. And God's Word has something to say about life and death and eternity. Uh, we'll continue a sermon series on 1 Thessalonians. And we come to chapter 5 today. So if you would, turn in your Bibles uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 to 11. And then next week... If you are able to join us, Gerald will um, conclude the book and we'll be preaching on the remainder of those verses. This is the word of the Lord. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober-minded. For those who sleep, they sleep at night. For those who get drunk, they get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober-minded, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Well, this is the word of the Lord. This is what God has to say to us concerning matters of life and death and eternity. Uh, Why don't we ask for God's help in applying this? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and what it has to teach us this morning. Lord, impress upon our hearts the truths of your word uh, that we um, might find comfort in this passage and that we might also uh, be spurned on to love and good works, that we might uh, uh, come to grow in our faith as we study this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are things in life that they fade away. We all know that food rots uh, and spoils, trees die, seasons change, uh, metal rust, clothing fades, cars break down, as some of you know very well, hair turns gray, wrinkles form on the face, as I'm learning. And, And we know that everything in this life, everything, has an expiry date. Every created thing in this world has a beginning and an end. Uh, The scripture teaches us that earth has this expiry day. Take, for example, what Jesus said in in Matthew 24. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And as John taught in the book of Revelation, um, the heavens and the earth as we we know them now will eventually uh, pass away, and they will give way to a new and better heaven and earth. The question is when? 
when will the earth end? Or uh, a related question, when will Christ return? The Thessalonians were asking this question back in chapter 4 and here in chapter 5. Obviously, there was, within their church, there was a, a concern, maybe a preoccupation with matters of life and death. And Paul here speaks in this chapter to matters of life and death. And he teaches them two things about the end. First, that we don't know when the end will come. Second, we should be ready for the end. Specifically, we should be ready for the return of Christ. Now, the first thing this passage tells us is that we, we don't know when Jesus will return. Have a look in your Bibles with me at verses 1 and 2. And you can follow along as we study the Bible together. In verses 1 and 2, we read this. Concerning the times and the seasons or, or dates, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware of the day of the Lord, which will come like a thief in the night. And Paul's likely quoting Jesus, who said something very similar in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 24. Jesus said, But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son, that is Jesus, not even the Son, but the Father only. That's why I, sometimes I scratch my head when, um, whenever I hear that someone has come up with a date. You know, back in 2011, uh, I was watching the news and there's this headline that came up about this guy, this pastor in, um, in California. His name was Harold Camping. And Camping predicted that the end of the world would be on May 21st, 2011. His math was about as good as my math is. And that obviously that didn't happen. His calculations were wrong. And uh, Jesus did not return on that day. Back in the 1830s, um, there was this minister, Baptist minister named William Miller. And he predicted that the return of Christ would happen in 1844. And of course, that didn't happen. And once it didn't happen, he was kicked out of the Baptist church and he formed his own church, as some do. <sighs> Jehovah's Witnesses also predicted uh, that the end of the world would happen in 1914. And when they, they got it wrong, they went back to the drawing board and they predicted 1941. And then they went back to the drawing board and they predicted 1975. And now they've just given up. <laughs> but what we know is that we, we don't know. We don't know. Jesus was clear. We don't know the day or the hour or the second or the moment that Christ will return. We just aren't given that knowledge. Um, what, what do we know? Look at verse 2. We do know that when he comes, he'll come unexpectedly. And Paul uses a metaphor. What is that metaphor? He will come like a thief in the night. Now, I've never been robbed. My wife has been robbed. Um, back in high school, some thug broke into their house and took a bunch of jewelry. Now, can you believe this? Can you believe that the thief who robbed Janelle's family didn't have the decency to call ahead of time? He didn't, you know, phone up and say, hey, Janelle, uh, I'm coming tomorrow at 3 o'clock. Have your pearls ready, and I'll be there waiting. No, the robbery was a surprise, because obviously the thief doesn't want to get caught. And that's how Paul 
That's the metaphor that Paul uses when describing the return of Christ. He's saying, it will be like a thief in the night. It will catch some people off guard. It will be unexpected. Now, even though we don't know when that will happen, we do know what will happen. All of us know what will happen. We will at some point, you will at some point see Jesus. Now, either uh, he will return, as this passage teaches, and we will see him face to face, or you will leave this earth and you will go meet him face to face in heaven. But either way, whatever happens, you have an appointment with Christ and your meetup with Christ will happen probably for some of us 50 years from now, for some of us 20 years from now. We just don't know when, but I can guarantee you that it will happen within your lifetime. And this month, I can think of six people, six people in our church who have had that appointment with Jesus, who are seeing him right now face to face. They are standing in his presence. And, and of course, we know as Christians that one day we will stand with them. What you don't know is when that will happen. Because as Jesus said, when he spoke to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. And then, of course, likewise, like I just said, no one, none of us knows the day or the hour that we will die or that we will leave this earth. Speaking for myself, I don't, I don't know the day or the hour that I will die. Um, I don't know when the end will come, be at the end of my life or be at the end of the world and the return of Jesus. My end, my end could have come in February of 1991, when our family vehicle, driving 100 kilometers an hour down an icy road in the middle of winter, struck a train, a moving train, and nearly killed us. And the jaws of life had to open up our vehicle and pull us out. So my end could have come there, but for whatever reason, God decided that it wasn't my time to meet Jesus. Just a year prior to that, same roads, same season of the year, February of 1990, my grandfather, he was driving, and he was struck by a vehicle, and he was still relatively young, and God decided to take him. And so, we need to be mindful of this. Uh, we don't need, to, don't need to live in fear that you're going to die in five minutes or ten minutes or an hour, but you need to be mindful of the brevity of life. Life is short, and death is certain, and we need, as Christians, to be prepared for that. And that's the lesson that this chapter has for us this morning. Because I can guarantee you, whether you're five years old or 50 years old or 100 years old, that one of three events will happen. Either tomorrow or another day, um, you will, you will uh, go home to Christ, you will die, or Jesus will return, or God will give you another day. And one of those things will happen. The question is, are you ready for that? Are you, are you ready and prepared to meet Christ? And that's the second point that I want to make um, this morning. Paul reminds us here that some people aren't ready. Uh, maybe you sit here today meeting Christ 
just seems so unrealistic. It's not something that you think about or something that you've ever thought about. It's not something that crosses your mind very often. And life, perhaps, is going pretty well for you. You know, you've got a good job, you've got uh, economic stability, you've got friends, you live in Australia of all places, you live in the eastern suburbs, the safer part of the city. Yeah, you, you, you're, you know that, you probably won't get robbed. You, you live in a relative sense of peace and safety. And so the end of life seems unrealistic, and the return of Christ seems unrealistic to you. I found this article in The Age. It was written about nine years ago. Um, a survey had been conducted in Warrandyte, and I'm not trying to freak the Warrandyte people out here, but if you live in Warrandyte, you need to have a fire safety plan. So get one. <laughs> um, 39% of people in Warrandyte don't have one. That's, that's what the stats said. The Age said this in response said, Warrandyte, of all the places in Victoria, Warrandyte is one of 52 high-risk fire locations in Victoria. And the local survey found a mystifying level of complacency among its residents, as if the lessons of Black Friday um, had not been learned. And why wouldn't you prepare yourself? So you live in Warrandyte, you, you know that, you, that you, you've got bush all around you, you know that there's fire hazards. Why wouldn't you... Um, prepare yourself um, for that? That's a good question. But I, I share that to illustrate a, a better point and a more important point. We all know that there will be a terminus, an end date to our life. So why wouldn't we prepare ourselves for that? We all know that it's coming. Why wouldn't we get ready for that? Paul here says that prior to the end, People, towards life and death, towards the end, people will have a she'll-be-right attitude, uh, a no-worries attitude towards the end. Look at verse 3 with me. They will have this attitude that says, peace and safety, peace and safety, peace and safety. Everything's good. She'll be right. I don't need to worry about anything. My bank account is full. There's food on the table. I've got a clean bill of health, so why should I prepare for the end? And we need to be careful with that attitude. Because what does he say here? He says the end may happen like a thief in the night. It will happen like a thief in the night. And then in verse 3, he, he uses yet another metaphor. Just in case you didn't get the first metaphor, he uses a second metaphor for, for the ladies, especially those who have been pregnant. He says, as suddenly as contractions come upon a woman who is in labor, that's how quick the, the return of Christ will be. And when the end comes, like I said, we will all meet Christ. And like I said, we will either leave this earth to go be with him, or he will come to meet us here. So, what will that be like? That's the next question. What will that be like when you actually have an appointment with Jesus and you meet him face to face? Well, he will, one of two things will happen. Either he will welcome you in as a friend, or he will cast you away as an enemy. Now, why would he cast anyone away as an enemy? Well, that's because that's what they are. They're, they're enemies, his enemies. He, if, have you ever known someone who is completely and utterly indifferent towards your life? Someone who cannot stand you, someone who hates you. 
Have you ever had that person in your life who refuses to speak to you or who mocks you or who uses your name as a swear word? Would you call that person a friend? I wouldn't. <laughs> I hope you don't. Um, well, this is how people, this is the kind of relationship that the unbelieving world has with Jesus. That they're, at best, they're indifferent towards his existence. At worst, they're actively in a, in a state of rebellion um, against him. They are enemies of the cross. And there are many lovely people in this world, many lovely people that I love and care about, but they are still enemies of Christ. And when the end comes, Christ will say to them those famous words, depart from me, for I never knew you. It's that, that, that's the unpopular truth that we as Christians preach. That, and we preach it because that's what the Bible teaches. That you cannot live as an enemy of Christ and then expect to enter his kingdom when he returns. So when he returns, for some people, it will not be a pleasant day. It will be a confronting day because you will stand before a God who is perfectly holy and righteous and good and you will stand before him recognizing your own sin. But you haven't been forgiven for that sin. And now you need to deal with that sin and God is going to deal with that sin. And so if I can caution and warn and encourage those who are not right with God, who have not prepared, you know, you are like the residents of Warrandyte, you know, waiting for the fire to happen. If I can urge you to just think about it and don't delay um, being reconciled with God, coming to God, being right with Him, and that can only happen through faith in Christ because Jesus said, we just don't know when the end will be. You don't know whether it will happen tomorrow or in 10 years or in 20 years. But for Christians, and I think... You know, the tone of this passage is overwhelmingly um, encouraging. And it's especially encouraging towards Christians. Because the day or hour of his return, or if you go to meet him beforehand, that will be the best day ever. It will be the best day of your life. Uh, if you are God's child, you, you don't need to fear that day at all. That day will be a day when you look your Savior in the eyes, when you see him face to face, and it will be the best moment ever. Now, in the funeral services this last month, we stress that point to the families grieving the loss of their loved ones, to the families of Beatrice, of Dennis, of Jill, of Annette, of Bert, that, that actually they are better off than we are. See, we live, and I've said this before, we live in a dying world, in a world that is where wood rots and skin gets wrinkly and people grow old. We live in a dying world. But these people who are part of our church, they've gone to be in a living world. They've left this dying world and they've gone to live because in Christ they have found eternal life. So as Christians, we have nothing to fear and everything to look forward to, especially his return. We've been, as you, you know, we've been studying the book of Revelation. Gerald's been leading us through that. And we came to the, recently to that last chapter in Revelation. And we studied kind of the nature of heaven, the new heavens and the new earth. And what does, what does John say about heaven? He says a lot of things. But one of the things he says is that there will be no darkness. Now, 
Darkness is one of those biblical metaphors that is used to describe everything that is painful, everything that is horrible, all sin, all wickedness, all suffering, Satan, the devil, rebellion, everything that is wrong with the world, that in a single word can be described as darkness. And in the book of Revelation, we are told that when Christ comes, he will dispel the darkness. He will get rid of that. And look at, um, look at verse uh, 4. He says, we do not belong to the darkness. Not in this life, not in the next life. Which means that we belong in heaven. And when Christ returns, he will dispel the darkness. And because of that, we will not live with the pains and frustrations and futility of life in this world. He also says that because we do not belong to that darkness, we belong to the light. He says the return of Christ shall not startle us. It should not alarm us. It should, it should not fill you with dread. Um, it will not come upon you like, like a thief in the night, says Paul. Because when Christ returns, he will help us and he won't harm us. When Christ returns, he will save us. He will not slay us. When Christ returns, we will, he will return to us, his children. Um, and, and because we belong to God, and we can never unbelong to God, we can never pry ourselves out of his hand, we will be there with him forever. Now, that leads me to a final point. How should we live now? in light of that coming day. So you're living in, you know, to stretch the illustration, you're living in Warren Dyke, you know, I've just told you that, you know, it's a big fire risk. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to just keep calm and carry on and say, ah, yeah, she'll be right? Or are you going to prepare yourself? And that's what Paul is, is trying to get Christians to think about. He's saying, are you going to prepare? How do you prepare for the return of Christ? Throughout the history of the church, there have been some really wacky ways, radical ways that people have prepared for the return of Christ. Um, there was a group of Christians in Korea. There's all these really strange cults in Korea. And one of these cults, um, they had all of their followers liquidate their assets and, and just live kind of like com communism, communal life. Just, I don't want any part of that. During the Reformation, there was this fringe group of Baptists. Yeah, Baptists. I like Baptists. But these Baptists, they went to war, and they were fringe, and they took a city and fought the government. And in fighting the government, um, they thought they were um, preparing themselves for the end of the world. And some in the early church, um, they went to go live off in the desert. And so there are all these weird ways that people think, oh, yeah, I have to prepare because in their minds they're thinking apocalypse. So I need to go and, you know, build a bomb shelter or something like that to prepare for the return of Christ. But that's not how we are to prepare for the return of Christ. You know, don't go to the Christian bookstore and buy out all the books on the end times. You know, don't go filling your bathtub with water and stocking up on tuna. That's a very terrible idea. Here's what I would suggest, and it's not radical at all. It's just that you first, if you're not a Christian, you become a Christian. That's how you prepare. 
You put your trust in Christ. Um, you get ready for that day. But if you are a believer, you just, you, you, you live the Christian life. I think that's what he's, he's talking about here. Look at verse 11. He says, just do what you're doing. Be a Christian. Um, it, it, you know, stay, be ready for the return of Christ and live steady as a Christian. So live for Christ as you wait for Christ. Now look at verses 6 and 7. And Paul warns against sleeping and, and, and drunkenness. Now, obviously, he's using another metaphor here. He's not warning against a good night's rest. And he's not talking about actual intoxication. He's speaking again in metaphor, as he does throughout this chapter. And what he's saying in verses 6 and 7 is, be awake. Stay awake as you wait for the return of Christ. Stay awake. Keep your wits about you. You know, a soldier does not go into battle drunk. Nor does he decide to take a nap in the middle of the battlefield. Uh, an athlete, I know some athletes play as if they were sleeping or drunk, but a good athlete um, does not go to sleep in the middle of the field and he does not get drunk before a game. No, they, they're vigilant, they're aware of their, their surroundings. And what Paul is saying here is be aware. Be aware of the world you live in. Be aware of your sin and your need for a savior. Be aware of your own uh, temptations that are specific to you. Be aware of the unique pressures that you face in life. Be aware that you have a personal enemy, Satan, who wants to hinder your faith. Uh, but most of all, be aware and awake to the fact that you have a Savior. You have the Spirit of God helping you through life. And that's what you are to be aware of. Look at verse 8. Not only do we be aware, we stay armed. Stay armed. And what does he tell, tell us to arm ourselves with? In verse 8, he says, The breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of our salvation. The helmet of the hope of our salvation. Notice something about this armor. The armor here is defensive. Um, what does a helmet protect? It protects the head. What does a breastplate protect? It protects the heart. And so what he's saying is he's saying, take the good news of Jesus, the news of, 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 of your faith, and the hope that the future hope, certain hope that you have in him, and the love that you are to show to him and to neighbor now, and use that to guard your heart and your mind. That's what he's saying. Um, he's saying, use the gospel armor as as protection. Use the gospel as protection against all that, um, all the darts of Satan, all the, the fears and, and threats of the world, all the things that, that trouble you in life. Use the, the, the gospel to protect you from that. Remember uh, that Christ died for you. And, and look at verses 9 and 10. And Paul tells us, really, he kind of expounds on what it means to, to put the gospel armor on. He says, remember you know, that Christ died for you. We, we remember that we are not destined for wrath, that, that Christ was condemned for all our sins, past, present, and future, and that the wrathful punishment was poured out on Him, and because of that, God pardoned you to forgive you. And if that is true, basically this, how can you wander any longer? You know, how can you leave the God you love 
If it is true that Jesus died for you to save you, how can you not thank him with your life? So to put on the gospel armor is essentially really just to preach the gospel to yourself again and again and to live in that and to apply that as you kind of pass through life in this really difficult world. Okay, one more verse. Look at verse 11. And then finally he says, encourage one another and build each other up just as you are in fact doing. So, what he's saying is that, that as we live out our Christian faith, that this is not kind of an individual pursuit. This is not, Christianity is not a you and Jesus and the Bible religion. Christianity is a faith that, is, that in, involves a community of people. Um, and we cannot, you know, walk through this life alone. And so he calls on Christians to encourage each other. The greatest, the most important ministry, one of the most important ministries of the church, one of the most important ways that we can actually practically serve in the church is through encouragement, by encouraging one another in our faith. You know, before the church had a worship team and a band and a men's ministry and a women's ministry and a morning tea roster and a website, <laughs> they, they actually had um, people doing simple tasks, praying with each other, reading the Bible to each other, going to the graveside of someone that they love and, and reading the scriptures to them, um, being generous with their time and their money, showing hospitality, and being part of each other's life. That's really what the church is called to do, to, to walk with one another, to disciple one another, and encourage one another in the faith. And so we need this. We can't lose sight of that command as we prepare for the return of Christ, that, that one of the primary ways that you can serve, and you don't even have to like sign up. You don't even have to put your your details down and give them to the pastoral team. You can actually just do this is by encouraging one another as Christians, as building one another up as we wait for the return of Christ. Well, let me conclude now um, by sharing uh, an article um, that I was reading. Um, And it was written to Americans, but I think it applies to Australians as well. And it says this, Nearly four in ten Americans say that we are living in the end times. That was a poll taken by the Pew Forum Research Center. And it was taken in the year 2022, just after a backdrop of events such as climate change, the pandemic, um, nuclear threats, and doomsday cults. And this survey found that conducted of more than 10,000 adults, found that 39% of respondents believed that we were living in the end times, most of them anxious about that. The rest of the respondents uh, were assured that everything was fine. So 38 per- 39% were worried about that we are living in the end times. The rest, she'll be right, it's all good. Researchers linked the high number of doomsayers to the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, fears about living on a warming planet 
with fiercer hurricanes and wildfires. And then they added that um, periods of catastrophe and anxiety such as coronavirus have historically led some people to anticipate that the destruction of the world as we know it, the end times, is near. Those fears relate to present-day realities as well as looking back to, to the scriptures and the expectation among Christians that Jesus will return to the earth after or amid time of great turmoil. So here's what I take from that article. That generally there are kind of two categories of people. One category of people that are like the citizens of Warrandyte. They just aren't concerned. They're not phased. She'll be right. No offense to the people living in Warrandyte. And there's another group of people, and they're just anxious. And the end of the world really, really freaks them out. And maybe it's not the end of the world. It's the end of life itself that freaks them out. They just, there's this anxiety about that. But here's, whether you're in either of those categories, here's what you need to remember. Christ will return. So if you're indifferent, you need to prepare yourself. But if you are anxious, remember this, that you do not face this world alone. That as a Christian, you have a group of people around you who have just been commanded by the Bible to encourage one another. So that's what we are expected to do. So if you are anxious, you can rely on those brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage you through that, through whatever you're facing in life, be it, be it sickness, be it ill health, be it uh, the struggle with sin, whatever it is, you have these people who are called to stand by your side. But most importantly, most importantly, and I'll conclude with, with this, you have a Savior who promises to carry you through this life. A God who is, is carrying you through the hardest moments of life. And he promises to be there with you at the end. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we um, thank you for this passage, which of course um, brings with it... Um, uh, challenge for, for us and also comfort. We just pray that you would impress the words of your word upon our hearts and take the application and use that application to, to strike a chord within us and to get us thinking about life, death, and eternity that we might find ourselves ready for the day of Christ's return. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.